$2 late fee, you have one new message. Hey, this is Alan Frog. Uh, me and my brother, uh, we're out of comics. We need some more comics. I need those comic books back that I gave you because those are survival manuals. So if you could get them to me, that'd be great. All right, Zach, Dustin, normally I would say, pray you never need to call me, but I need you to call me. So you can pray, but also call. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. Congrats! You found $2 Late Fee, the best 80s movies podcast in the world. We revisit our favorite 80s movies. And sometimes 90s. And soundtracks from our youth. And then we interview our favorite people who help make them. All in the spirit of nostalgic positivity. Thanks for listening. Michael and Sam are about to discover a secret in California. Santa Carla's crawling with vampires. Stay back! Stay back! I'm your brother, Sammy! Help me! What's happening when you start? My own brother, blood-sucking vampire. You better give yourself a garlic t-shirt, buddy. Will you wait till mom finds out? Has anyone gone crazy here? The Lost Boys. Rated R. Starts Friday, July 31st. We open on the Warner Brothers logo. <laughs> exactly. This is not a crossover. Nine <laughs> seconds. Oh, it's not a crossover. Okay. I'm so, you know, we came out of, um, September's over, huh? That's, uh, it, what, what a month. I mean, uh, we really devoted so much, so much time to Roadhouse. I really never need to watch it again. <laughs> no, but, uh. I know. But yes, I know we we ran Roadhouse into the ground. The double douche is now uh, a single ace, I guess. We double douched it. I mean, um, no, what a, you know, hey, I think uh, uh, for a congrats are in order or, or happy birthday. Uh, congrats, because um, officially, I don't know that, you know, we got to acknowledge, right, that we you and I have been doing this podcast for uh, over four years over four yes. years now. So um, congratulations. Happy birthday, $2 late fee. Thanks to everybody who's listened to even an episode. means a lot. And, uh, and if this is your first episode, welcome. Welcome to the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. <laughs> Thou shall not kill. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like part of you would want a choir of children um, singing things behind uh, important moments in your life? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because all I, uh, maybe what I want more is to have Bonnie Marone is going to be with him. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mm-hmm. say long tall Santa is going to be with Slim. I mean, that's, that's that's a way to go, but I think choir of children or Boney Maroney. Who would you rather have? I think there's something really. Um, a choir of children has a lot of power, you know, in both a very creepy way, 
Uh, we've seen it used many, you know, many in many a creepy fashion. Um, but also you can, um, you could use it in like a very, in a very powerful way too. Um, I mean, eh, I, I, I'm trying to think of a way in which it's not really creepy if you have a choir of children following you around. Because then it's really creepy either way. I'm trying to think of incidences where I've heard choirs of children. Uh, I think of that Rolling Stone song, Can't Always Get What You Want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's choir of children. Choir of children. Not too creepy, but then again, they're not following you. If they were following you down the street, following you in Santa Carla, that might be kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I also, too, really quickly want to echo that the happy birthday and happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, dear $2 late fee. Happy birthday to us. And, uh, yeah, if you are new to the show, go back and listen to all those episodes that we put our blood, sweat, and a lot of tears into. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, or don't, because frankly, (laughs) you're here with us now and you are be here now. That's what's important. We're not going to prolong the past. We're not going to invite the future. We're just going to be here now. And, um, but, you know, I'm often think of uh, how, you know, over our four years, we've done a lot of different kinds of movies, but when it comes to movies that many people know, we don't, we haven't really uh, done a majority of those, you know, um, I would say our, our, our biggest, biggest film that we covered was Pretty Woman uh, at the beginning of the year. And now... I don't know. When you think horror vampire movies, um, this is this was a big one in 1987. Yeah, we don't go mainstream all that often, and there's a reason for that. We try to, we like to go obscure. We like to go the road less traveled. I'm excited to go down this road with you. Yes, I am too. I'll be honest with you though, Lost Boys has always been a movie I've wanted to talk about, and I made a misstep. A few years ago when we had Andre Gower on the show and he asked me point blank, what's your favorite movie soundtrack? And I believe I said The Lost Boys. Uh, I'm going to rescind that. Well, I I think you, um, not that I have it handy, but I, I feel like you were like, well, Andre, thank you for asking. If it's my release soundtracks, it's this, you know, it's this. If it's my horror soundtrack, it's this. If it's my martial arts soundtrack, it's best of the best. If it's my you know, not yet released. It's real genius, right? I feel like you gave him, I feel like you gave him like seven answers. Well, no, I gave him one, but then I added the <laughs> caveat, but this movie's my, has my favorite soundtrack on it, but it's not, a, it's not a soundtrack that's available. So, right. Okay. I believe, so I think that's what and it was. I, yeah, I said so. that. And I believe I said Lost Boys and I recently re-listened to the entire soundtrack just to get familiar with it again, because it was a soundtrack I listened to non-stop back in the day yeah and now i know why my batteries on my walkman tended to die out faster when i listened to this mm-hmm. soundtrack because i was too busy fast forwarding through certain songs on yeah. the soundtrack that i was not a fan of yeah the only thing i'll say about this soundtrack is and i i know we'll devote you know special time to it yeah. um unless we go in reverse but that you know sometimes we do that but it's one of those soundtracks where you do not, certain songs are just so unmemorable that I forgot they were even on this thing. Same. Yeah. 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 And then, and then as I'm listening to them, I'm going, oh yeah, 
out of the what 10 songs that are on here there's probably five that are really good yeah yeah and, and then five that are not yeah yeah and then maybe like one that's not on there and should be and mm-hmm. you know yep, uh, that's for sure yeah so um so i agree with you i gotta ask you a question is the lost boys your favorite 80s vampire movie well I mean, just off the top of my head, maybe, but, uh, you know, I really enjoy Once Bitten a lot. Um, that's fair. You know, I, that, that's just a movie I've seen a million times for some reason. It was on HBO a lot. Um, it's got a great song in it, too. Well, it's been... Yeah, yeah, the song that that rolls during the credits. Um, yes. Yeah, where Jim Carrey looks at the camera and does like a weird eyebrow raise and then goes back in uh, to the coffin with like, what's her face, Karen. This guy's gonna be something someday. Yep. How about did you ever see uh, My Best Friend Is a Vampire? My Best Friend, yes, yes, absolutely. With Robert Sean Leonard. Absolutely. I yes, I I probably haven't thought about that movie in like twenty years, but. Um, Really good. Seen it a lot. Right at PG, by the way. Yep. And he, he, in, uh, Robert Sean Leonard's character, his last name is Capello, which I think is oh you know, I- interesting. Irony. Seeing how Tim Capello will pop up in this. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm certainly not as versed in the many, many vampire movies uh, of the 80s as you are. I feel like uh, you own at least 7,500 of them and they're under your bed but well obviously people talk about fright night and i know you've got mixed feelings about fright night there's parts of it that you love there's yeah parts of it that you don't yeah i enjoy it obviously great music uh you know great yeah there's just certain performances that i don't love yeah that's that's understandable there's of course the cult favorite near dark but um how about vamp yeah vamp is great Directed by Richard Wank, who just wrote the new, um, I don't know, he does those Equalizer movies. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. I love when, you know, somebody we're covering, like, is still working quite prolifically uh, today. Um, One comment I just want to say about Fright Night, because I've thought about this a lot, and I feel like it's, I sort of liken it to uh, extracurricular kickball. And what I mean by that is, when you have people on a team that are all taking, everyone needs to be on the same page, right? So if, if half the people on the kickball team are taking it really seriously and then half the people are like, I'm just here to socialize and hang out with my friends, it doesn't work. This can apply to any extracurricular uh, sport, team sport, right? Um, everyone needs to be like, all be there for the same purpose. And in Fright Night, I feel like some people are doing like just really over the top stage acting and some people are doing sort of a more realistic, reserved, um, you know, film acting. And then, uh, and then everyone else is kind of in between that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I think this movie is the opposite of that. I think everybody's on the same level in this. Yes. Um, for the most part. Um, 
I think The Lost Boys is one of the most, it's one of my favorite mainstream movies of all time. Hmm. I think this is considered a very mainstream film. It came out at a time in the summer, uh, end of July, right before Monster Squad came out too, by the way, Um, Mm. and which is, you know, Neither here nor there in the in the, in the scheme of things, but it is kind of cool from a child perspective because I was stoked to see The Lost Boys when it came out. And a few weeks later, I go and see The Monster Squad, and I was like, this is the best summer of my life because I love both movies. Um, I think this movie is crazy how good it still holds up today. And Was that, is it still the best summer of your life? 1987? Um, yeah. It's a pretty good one. I mean, we've okay. talked about movies. We've talked about 1987 being the best year for movies. Uh, I, I, this is yet again another reason why. <laughs> I mean, 87, yeah. I think, is... is. I'm going to... Uh, I'm not going to call it just yet. I'm not going to say, no, nope, 87 is, is, is the best. But it's really... It's at the top of the list right now. The top of the list. We celebrated a lot of 35th anniversaries last year, all 1987 movies, including Three O'Clock High and Teen Wolf 2. Uh, North Shore. Interested. North Shore, of course. Whitewater uh, Summer. You know, um, but, but, but we didn't do 35th anniversary celebrations. We did not. I just mean last year, specifically in the $2 late fee catalog you can go and and hear basically reunion episodes with like the cast of team of two and uh and the cat and and the director and some cast members of three o'clock high and of course composer jim jim walker but i just mean that we didn't cover lost boys and then i think we're we kind of realized this year like oh man so it's just the 36th anniversary that we're covering speaking personally i I really wanted to cover lost boys last year but if you can speak impersonally for a minute, that would make more sense. Well, no, I'm, I'm just saying I, I wanted to celebrate it last year, but we hadn't lined up a guest yet for the show, and I hadn't even thought about it. And then in a really cool way, we were able to get Jameson Newlander on the show. That's our guest next week on the show. Obviously, yes. plays Alan Frog. He was uh, – well, we'll let that interview speak for itself because – he has his own personal, obviously his deep feelings about Lost Boys, his relationship with Corey Feldman, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I watched it the other day and I was so like immediately taken back to 1987, being a little kid, seeing it with my mom, going, wow, this is like Eric and me and you, mom, the you know, you're a single mom uh, and raising two kids and we live near Santa Cruz, a.k.a. Santa Carla. And, right. and you're you're like dating guys and, and I mm, hope they're not right. vampires. Right. It's questionable men. Right. And I've got a poster on my wall of Johnny Depp from 21 Jump Street. It's it's kind of like like uh, the whole idea of inviting, you know, the well, inviting the vampires, but inviting, you know, the, the vampire that might happen to be dating your mom you know, into your house. Like, I feel like you were probably encountering that a lot. Like, I didn't invite you in, Mr. Drug Dealer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. I think up until this point, this was like, I'd already experienced a lot of things. So going into watching Lost Boys going, oh, wow, this is like, 
that guy my mom dated or that guy my mom oh gosh my brother trying to be cool and fitting in whoa and i'm the awkward you know tween uh not knowing whether i should have a swatch watch on my wall or on my wrist i feel like and these are all references to Corey Hames' amazing room by the way at his grandpa's room is house. amazing yeah but uh but did you watch this movie and think to yourself, like, oh, I, I should have a plan. Like, I should have a plan in case things do go awry. Oh, yeah, I always did. I did. Yeah. I did with Cloak and Dagger. When that movie came out, I had a plan yeah. for what if bad guys tried to kidnap me. Um, when Fright Night came out, and that was the first one that really hooked me as far as yeah. vampire movies, I had a, I'm like, oh, I got to get a cross. I got to get a steak. I got to get garlic but I didn't know how to do that <laughs> without alerting my mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Lost Boys came out, and I'm like, I, I got to find a comic book store. And we did. We had a comic book store called R&K Comics in uh, Santa Clara. Santa Clara? Yeah, or Sunnyvale. Anyways, um, I was all in. Yeah, I was all in with a plan, and I didn't get my hair Crossbow. frosted like Corey Haim, though. So, you know. Yeah, well, it's it's hard. I mean, the fashion that's established very early on in this movie, and I, I guess we should explain, um, you know, if you are new, generally we don't we don't try and spoil anything, um, but we do assume that you have listened. Uh, we do assume that you have watched the Lost Boys, watched the film that we're talking about, because um, why else would you be here? And what we do do, what we do 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 do, do is. Do. Uh, yeah, we talk about the movie, and then we uh, we get into the soundtrack, and uh, hopefully entertain you along the way. Good day, sir. Good day. Um, Do you think there's anybody listening to this who hasn't seen the movie The Lost Boys? Probably, probably, probably. A, a, I don't know. I mean, it's. I don't know. Do you? Can you call yourself an 80s movie? I don't, I, you know, I'm, I always say this. I'm like, can you call yourself this? And then like, you know, Corey Stevenson, Sleazy C is like, I've never seen Roadhouse. And we're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, but... How did you miss it? Like, how did it happen? And I, I, I think it just happens. I think people are like, I'm, I'm, I was meaning to see a movie, just didn't. And okay, n- now it's time to see that's, it. That's fair. Cause I haven't seen Dirty Dancing all the way through. Um, so there you go. And you don't intend to. No, I don't. I don't ever intend to watch in your life. Dancing. Nope. Uh, but if you haven't seen the lost boys, please, if you haven't seen lost boys, the basic premise involves, uh, a family. You got your mom, Lucy played by Diane Weist. You've got your oldest son, Michael, who um, I guess must be around his like senior year in high school. Um, yeah, that's you know him. he's he's still in high school. We know school's going to start. This is over the summer. Yep. When this movie takes place, and uh, oldest brother Michael is Jason Patrick. You've got youngest brother Sam, adorable Sam, played by Corey Haim, and the amazing, amazing dog Nanook. Uh, the tr- truly an amazing dog amazing dog actor, um, arguably my favorite character, but, um, the, uh, you've got the, the four of them traveling to, uh, they've just moved. They're, they're en route moving from Phoenix, Arizona to Santa 
Carla, not Santa Clara, but Santa Carla. Santa Carla. California. AKA um, Santa Cruz. AKA Santa Cruz, which has a lot of um, rumors swirling around it. Ominous, ominous place. Um, you got your hippies, you got your surf not Nazis, and of course, you got your vampires um, amongst us. And uh, they move in with Lucy's grandpa, and they're going to start a new life for themselves. And, you know, what happens? Uh-oh, they all get involved in, in some crazy things. Some vampires. Grandpa's Vampire. played by uh, Bernard Hughes from Tron. Bernard Hughes from Tron, and of course, uh, my personal favorite uh doc hogue in uh doc hollywood I am the one and only. what's didn't he have like alzheimer's or dementia or something in that movie like well n- no he didn't he was uh quick uh, quick sidebar about doc hollywood everybody uh, doc hollywood starring michael j fox uh 1991 i believe or 1990? Not sure. 1991 yeah. sounds right. But anyway, great movie. Um, Chesney Hawks does the uh, I Am The One and Only song at the beginning. Yep. But uh, no, Doc Doc Hogue is a... Um, he has like a, a medical emergency at some point. That's right. Yes. And... Um, but he is... Uh, yeah, he's he's not... He never has dementia. He's he's quite with it. He's, he's just a grumpy... You know, a grump, a lovable grump. Which yes. To a degree, Grandpa is in this movie as well. There, there's speculation that the rumors have always been like he's half vampire. That's the world building people have done with his character because they're like, how else would he have, you know, uh, known when to come back home? And like he, he's got a pulse on the vampire community and that's why he never goes out. And Yeah, but that doesn't track at all. No. To me, that doesn't track at all because he would be so aware of Michael's situation way before anything. Like if you were a vampire yourself, you'd be like, you wouldn't just be like, oh, you you went out and got laid last night too there, Mikey. You know, you'd yeah. be like, oh, uh, did you get, did you drink someone's blood? <laughs> did you drink a vampire's blood? All right, here's what you got to do. And then he explained. And I think this movie actually does a really good job of covering all of its bases. So there's not a lot of speculation that goes on, right? Because part of me was like, I had forgotten about um, Max, played by Edward Herman, who's fabulous, by the way. I love that dude. And yeah. he comes over to the house, uh, you know, because he's wooing uh, Michael and Sam's mom. And. He's passing all the tests that they put him through, that Sam and the Frog Brothers put him through. And and I'm like, well, wait, but how does that track with uh, later on in the movie? Oh, they explain it. They explain literally everything. So nothing, as far as I know, nothing is, is really left to debate when it comes to continuity with this movie. Right. Uh, fair point. I mean, it, it is very well done. For the most part, you do have answers about everything. There were a couple of things, a couple of things that presented at the end where I'm like, that is inconsistent with what was, pre-, you know, the information. Had, there's a conflict. There's a conflict here. Um, it's nothing that would, you know, it doesn't derail my experience with the movie or my feelings toward it. Um, and really for all the like kind of goofy things, that 
are very memorable about it. It is a very good movie overall. Let's just get that out of the way. Yes. Yeah. And it's a little over 90 minutes, which is a nice runtime. It's not too long. I want to point out that uh, Jeffrey Baum, I think, is the main script writer for this movie. Mm-hmm. And that guy wrote the screenplay Boehm, for... something like that? Bo- yeah, right. Bohm, B-O-A-M. Uh, he wrote Inner Space and The Dead Zone and mm-hmm. uh, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. I'm not a huge fan of Last Crusade, but I know people are. And, you know, God bless him if that's your favorite Indiana Jones movie. God bless you. Well, yes. And he wrote most of the Lethal Weapons. Uh, that's with right. Black. That's right. Um, You're right. As as well. But, uh, of course, we have Joel Schumacher at the helm. Um, and, I mean, really a masterful directing job. I think, you know, it's visually amazing. Um the camera work is so cool and we're talking, you know, drones didn't exist while nope. drones used for filmmaking certainly didn't exist. Uh, whether they were being used for the military, uh, I believe they were, but, um, you know, to a degree, but, uh, I, I believe that Richard Donner, you know, who produced this was originally going to direct. And for some reason, uh, decided not to. Do you have any idea why that was? No, no. I don't. Um, I don't. I, I thought okay. you're going to point out the the DP, which I'll which, which I will in a moment. But I feel like it would have had a different vibe if it was if it was Richard Donner. Oh, I mean, it totally would have. It totally would have. And I don't think it would be certainly as memorable. It's like all these all these Schumacher things, you know, um, from the main vampire gang and how they look, right? There's all these connections to the doors. Apparently, uh, Schumacher was obsessed with Jim Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Jason Patrick looks like Jim Morrison for right. this, you know for, for most of this. Um, but yes, let's. But let's. I guess I just wanted to quickly kind of note the notables. Uh, no, that's important because I think. Well, maybe it's because Corey Feldman was in this movie and he's like, I don't want to work with that goddamn kid again. Right. From Goonies. Right. Could <laughs> no, be. that's not Could what be. happened. That's the a total Zach speculation. I'll take it. But really quickly, though, because you mentioned the camera work, Michael Chapman is the DP on this. Michael Chapman is like a legendary DP working on Raging Bull and The Fugitive and Taxi Driver and The Last Detail, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you, you couldn't get a more like the resume that everyone has on this movie is Mm -hmm. stacked. It's stacked. Yeah. Big, big budget movie, big budget horror film that doesn't pull punches. That doesn't like, you know, shy away from the gore because I feel like there's a level of gore in this movie. That's appropriate. It's actually the level of gore that I like in a horror film. It doesn't go too, too gory. And there's just enough, to satiate that appetite of like, oh, I got to see that kill. You know, I got to see that vampire get blown mm-hmm. up or, and you get all that. What you don't get is like the mountains of blood and the overflow. And th- some people dig that. I'm not a huge fan of that nowadays. Back in the day, I used to really think that was cool. Now I'm like, man, eh, it doesn't do anything for I mean, me. There's a fair amount of overflow. There's overflow in one scene. For the, sure. the climax of this movie, there's a lot of overflow. There is. There is when um, Brooke McCarter from 
thrash and fame, which we talked about on the show, uh, aka Paul in this. When Paul gets destroyed, his there was a lot of slime. There's a lot of slime. Yeah, spoiler. Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the entire plumbing system is compromised with slime. I'm going to say it's because Grandpa was eating too many peanut butter boppers and then was backing up his, his uh, sewage line. I mean, you can, yeah, you can go with that. I think. Uh, By the way, did you ever eat peanut butter boppers back in the day? Uh, no, but when I saw them in, in his fridge and there's a scene early on where Grandpa explains like the second shelf, which is labeled old fart. The second shelf is grandpa's shelf and you don't touch that. And it's like all his, you know, his snacks and stuff. He's got peanut butter boppers in there. And I looked and I was like, oh, I feel like I could go for one of those. I don't know. You wouldn't necessarily refrigerate those, but. No. Why not? I mean, why not? Why not? Maybe the chocolate ones. That, but for those that don't know, peanut butter boppers was like a, a tube of peanut butter, like a, like a, uh, a log <laughs> wrapped in like rice krispies or something like that and, and and sometimes chocolate it was supposed to be like a somewhat of an alternative to a granola bar and oh my god they were really good they don't make them nope they don't i've i've looked but there's a okay. lot of online things where they're like oh you can do it this way you can make your own peanut butter boppers i'm like i don't want to make it I right i don't want to put any work into no. making anything let's make a rice krispie treat or something with peanut butter probably the same idea yeah that's no, true yeah just maybe get a, just a scoop of peanut butter and throw Rice Krispies on it and go to town. There you go. <laughs> uh, I feel like we're a little all over the place, but what? But this movie, because uh, I feel like we've kind of we we've dipped into the cast, we've dipped into into crew, we've dipped yeah, yeah. into plot, but we haven't like finished <laughs> any of it. But uh, but again, you know, you guys have seen you've seen it, so you understand. But did this movie open well? In the summer of 87. I believe it did. I believe it was number one. It opened It opened at number one. Okay. Well, that side note, breaking news. It opened at yes. number two. Number two. Oh, shit. All right. With a domestic gross of over $5.2 million, it went on to gross a domestic total of $32 million against a budget of eight point five. So it was a hit. Okay. And it, what was number one? It wasn't the Monster Squad, I'll tell you that nope. much. Nope. The Living Daylights was number one. Okay. That was number one. Which tracks because Bond Bond was box office back in the day. And it was not an R-rated movie, and Lost Boys is an R-rated movie. So it's gonna Right. It's gonna keep right. some people from go, getting in to see the movie. That's good good point. Hey, for those interested, the top movie of uh, the summer of nineteen eighty seven was Beverly Hills Cop Two by a long shot. Wow, really? That's crazy. Who knew? That's crazy. Uh, so I mean, Axel Foley, baby. You know, I haven't watched Beverly Hills Cop two in a really long time. I remember it being so much more polished than the first one. Axel being way cooler, like looking, you know, wearing his lion's leather. He's got the jacket. lion's jacket now, yeah. right? The awesome lion's jacket. Um, yeah. I mean, it and it was it was a lot of the same formula, which you know you can't exactly capture lightning in a bottle twice in the same exact you can't way. but apparently uh, box office you can but box so. office you can and that's why there's a third one and then and note to self don't uh, make a third one where you shoot it at uh what was it great america <laughs> amusement park yeah oh, my God, yeah it's terrible um but getting back to lost boys we started talking about the cast 
this is a cast that should be brought up, especially it was hugely influential on me at the time, like style wise. Right. It's all your sexy boys. All my sexy all your boys. hunky boys. Yeah, all my all hunky your hunky boys. boys. You're like, I want, a, I want that mullet. I want that earring. I want that tattoo. I want that shoulder pads. I want yes. that Rob Lowe poster on my room. I want yes. that. Yeah. Yes. All that. I want to. Uh, now looking back now, I'm like Corey Haim. Actually, a really cool. St- I, I like his style more now than I did back in 1987. You like his style more now? Yeah. I mean, he's got he's got some really cool uh, coats or jackets. Yeah, he's really flashy. For uh, um, he's, he's he was sixteen at the time when he made this movie. Do you think his character is sixteen? No, no, no. I think no. his character is supposed to be twelve. Yeah, I mean, there's so much like you got to watch Sam. I was like, no, Sam's an adult, mom. Like, or Sam can take care of himself. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he uh, he's he's young. I mean, he looks young. Um, the Frog Brothers equally were around the same age too. Uh, Corey Feldman yeah. was same age. Jameson was a year older. Uh, yes. And this really, they didn't know each other. Like none of those guys knew each other. Um, no. Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, or Jameson Newlander, uh, our, our guest in one week from today. Um, who's fantastic by the way, but, uh, yeah. you already know that, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, those three guys are kind of like the heart, I would say like the heart of the movie, right? They're like the, the, the glue, the, I mean, the heroes, really. Um, it's, I mean, look, it, it's an interesting movie because you kind of think that the movie's all about Michael. Yes, and his To journey. a degree. Yeah. And his journey. And then we kind of learn that really Michael's almost collateral damage of this whole thing. Because, you know, I don't want to give it away, but Michael isn't the goal He's just, you know, like it is about his family, but it is it is very interesting. Uh, now he was supposed to be the appetizer. Well, that right, but well, say more, say more about that. Well, I mean, he was he was supposed to be um, star played by Jamie Gertz, played by Jamie Gertz. She was, you know, we already know that she's probably a vampire, right? She's with the vampire crew. Right. And let's just uh, time out for some $2 late fee Jamie Gertz history. Uh, what do we love her in? Quicksilver. 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 One of our first episodes. Oh, my God. That was one of our first episodes. She's really good at sounding whiny. Like, she's good at being whiny, not in an annoying way. Like, it's like a genuine, like, oh, I really feel bad for her, you know? Yeah. she She's she's pretty dynamic. I mean, there's there's more to her than just, like... Eh, leave him alone. Yeah. He's just a boy. She's you know, sexy yeah. in this. She's sultry, yeah. and um, and she's supposed to feed on Michael. Basically, make her a full vampire by feeding yeah. Michael yeah. by having Michael fed to her. The the rules of of vampires in this movie are essentially that until you get your first kill, even if you drank some vampire blood, you are only a half vampire until. You get your first kill. After you get your first kill, then you turn full-on vampire, 100%. Um, all the benefits, uh, all the pros and cons that come with that yeah. contract um, are now yours. Read, hope you, hopefully you've read the terms and conditions. And it's tough because you know no one's really explaining to Michael as he goes along, like, hey, this is what's up. It's more like, you drank this. Ha ha ha, idiot. You're a half vampire now. You're one of us. Yeah, if you drink vampire blood. 
yeah, but if you think it's something else, you know, that's, that's on you. That's your fault. Uh, but, you know, to your point, I just need to bring this up. And this is a spoiler, guys. So just earmuffs if you don't want to hear this. But, right. but later on, when Max, Edward Herman, is revealed to be the head vampire, he says to Lucy, right, to Diane Weist, he says, you were the goal all along. I wanted you. And I figured that if I got your boys, if I converted your boys first, then it would be easier. You know, you'd be like, oh, we're all one big happy family or, you know, whatever, vampire. So that's what doesn't make sense about Star him being his killed because that would completely negate um, that whole thing. It would, but David, who is technically Max's, well, he's a child of Max through his own like creation. I, we don't know if it's his like child per se. And that's uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Kiefer, by the way. Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, Sutherland, who we haven't mentioned at all. No, we which haven't. Which is so crazy. We, We're like 40 minutes in. We haven't mentioned Kiefer Sutherland. We haven't Sutherland. talked about of any course, of the vampires outside of Paul. We haven't talked. I don't know. What are we doing? It's all, it's all backwards. Sorry, sorry. Really, really. So, yeah, so really quickly, I think David, you know, David and his Lost Boy crew, David, obviously Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Brooke McCarter, which we brought up as Paul, Billy Worth, who plays Dwayne, which I don't believe his name is ever mentioned in the movie. It's just in the credits, uh, I don't think. Mm. But Marco is played by Alexander Winter. Alexander uh, Alex Winter, a.k.a. Bill from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, wanted his full name in the credits, and then it was too late to take mm. it out when they wanted to change it, blah, blah, blah. That's the Lost Boy crew. Oh, and, and this little kid named Laddie. Laddie! Uh, Laddie. Who's in Pumpkinhead, by the way? And we just talked about Pumpkinhead on... We uh, just talked about Pumpkinhead. Tales from the Video uh, Store. At some point. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I think David... The, so the Lost Boys are Max's kids, quote-unquote. His, his children. His vampire children. And I think... This is my own speculation that, that he want... That David had his own agenda all along. They didn't want to be... They were doing their own thing. I see. Because Max even says, you know... There's a line that Max utters to, uh, you know, to to Lucy that oh, yes. boys will be boys, or you got to keep your mind, you got to keep your eye on boys, or they need a stern hand, well, or something like that. And he that. does say that they misbehave. Yes, he so, says David and the boys misbehave. So maybe that that does track, right? They're just going rogue, and yeah, they're they're just they're just having some fun. They're going to have a good um, time tonight. Rock and roll yeah. music going to play all night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um, Jason Patrick was like super hunky boy. He, after this, he did a lot of dramas, like more yeah. kind of thriller. He kind of went that route of like almost like what Johnny Depp did, where Johnny Depp could have taken more mainstream roles, but he took more edgy offbeat stuff like John Waters and Crybaby or uh, Edward Scissorhands. You know, Jason Patrick went right. that same route where he could have gone the full-on leading man action star. Yeah, uh, Rush, excellent. After Dark My Sweet, um, I believe, with uh, Rachel... Yeah. Oh, gosh, Rachel Ward. Yeah. Rachel Ward, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Jason Patrick... Very, very good look. And you can see how, I mean, at one point, there's even this sort of straight up juxtaposition. It's almost like, you know, because Jim Morrison's poster is in the vampire 
cave. Very cool. Very cool cave. Very decorated. Really, really nice set design. Right. And, um, but the, 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 the transitions are almost like you, you, you have like a close up of that poster and then it's kind of like transposing Jason Patrick's face on top of it. Like they're just going from shot to shot and in these montages, these musical montages. Um, yeah, very, you know, and, and then of course the doors are in the soundtrack. Um, you know, uh, people are strange. Uh, when you're strange, no, people are strange. People are strange. When you're a yeah. stranger, faces yeah. look ugly when you're alone. You know, so there's even that, like, literal use of that song and with the poster. and the, Yeah, so uh, Joel Schumacher clearly influenced greatly by The Doors. And Echo and the Bunnymen do a great cover of that, by the way. So that Echo and the Bunnymen cover is is really good. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. Not much different from the original, which I'm okay with, but we'll talk about that later in the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kelly Jo Minter, by the way, is like, she has, she's in the movie. She doesn't have a line of dialogue. I know on the, on the DVD, she has cut scenes that, uh, okay. I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask about that. There must be cut scenes because she's got like really top billing. Um, we know her as uh, Denise in summer school. Yeah. And I love her course. in the principal also. She's great in the principal. She comes up a lot on this podcast. Um, but yeah, she she's just like in one shot. Right. She's like in the background, like staring at Diane Weiss while she's on the phone. It's very strange. At a video store. At, yeah. And... Is this the first movie we've covered where there is seen there's a scene that takes place in a video store? I don't know. Because it's a cool looking um, video store, by the way. It is a cool looking video store. Um I don't know. Maybe. Could be. I think so. Tell us from the video store. And I was like, man, that video store is hopping right now. Well, it's, it's like, why is everyone in the video store like seemingly like listening to her strange conversation on the phone? Like she's not even talking that loudly. I don't know. That's true. That's true. It is nice, though, to have the backdrop of a video store in an 80s movie. It's been, um, and, you know, it get for me, I get totally distracted in my, like, my ADD where I'm looking around and going, oh, wait, what, what movies do I see that they planted in here? Cause everything's strategic, right? So you see yeah. Goonies poster or throughout this movie, you'll see posters of, of, of either Joel Schumacher films or former actors who were in jo Joel Schumacher movies like Rob Lowe. And, um, and then you'll, you'll see echo and the bunny man posters on a wall or, you know, all those nods to the soundtrack to, to connections to people in the movie. It's, it's fun little Easter eggs throughout. It is. Uh, Corey Ham's room, which we sort of talked about briefly. I mean, he has this giant poster of Molly Ringwald. Like, it's it's just like her head. It's like the biggest poster I've ever seen of Molly Ringwald. Yeah. And, and uh, that's kind of on the wall. And then on his closet door, there is like a Rob Lowe. It's a very, like, seductive Rob Lowe showing, like, some belly. It's like a half shirt. I'm like, why would Sam have this? And then I thought, well, Zach would probably have this. No, I sense. wouldn't. I had like a cool, 
I had the Johnny Depp <laughs> cool look from Twenty One Jump. No belly showing. Because I, I'll be honest with you. Is that where you cross? Is that where you would 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 uh, draw the line? Yeah, because when showing? when this movie came out, yeah. I'm like, why does he have a belly picture of Rob Lowe? It's kind of it's like a sexy teen beat picture. It's not yeah, like it's Rob a Lowe. Sexy picture. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, if poster. it was Rob Lowe in a scene from The Outsiders, like looking tough, that'd be one thing. But it's like him pulling his shirt up or whatever. It's very weird. It yeah, is he's weird. given like bedroom eyes. It's very. It is weird. Corey's room is decorated a little bit like what a typical girl of the '80s would have on their wall on her walls. A little bit. Uh, it doesn't track. It's like if he, if he loves comics and he just like loves Molly Ringwald. It's like. I don't know. It's like it reminds me of like when my friend, like Mitch, where like his like his huge crush was Sandra Bullock, and I'm like, this doesn't track to me. I think I understand it a little more now that I'm older, but I'm just like Sandra Bullock. This, this, no. Well, I I think being somebody Sandy that grew up B. reading comics, being somebody that hung out in comic book stores, the way Sam is in this movie doesn't stereotypically track with someone who digs the stuff that he digs like the Batman, like the Superman 14 or whatever, you know? And, uh, like he's just like, he seems like somebody that would just be listening to music and playing soccer or something like that. Not necessarily a comic book kid. Uh, yeah, well, you know I mean, saying. the other thing we can say about this too, is like, it's grandpa's house. He's been thrown into this room that's like still filled with like so much animal taxidermy and like, you know, all these things. Yeah. And it's like, how do you quickly make a space your space? And, and as a teenage boy, right, you're going to quickly, oh, throw up some posters and. I'll put up a poster, Rob know. Lowe, half shirt. Grandpa comes in and goes, oh, what's going on in here? Because it, it does feel temporary, right? It, it, like even though like that they're going to live there, like it doesn't feel like this is our space. It's like we're going to live with grandpa this shelf of the fridge is going to be off limits, but like, you know, the fact that they all like, even cause at one point, you know, Jason Pat, like Jason Patrick's room doesn't look really like anything that, you know, a senior in high school would have. No, his room actually looks very bare bones for the most part, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that setting this movie in Santa Cruz at the time was really different for me to see. I don't know that like, this movie has a vibe to it that I don't think had ever been done up until this point. I don't know. It, it was it's the perfect like rock and roll uh, energy for a horror film. Yeah, well, you you know, a, a boardwalk in the summer has a particular energy. Uh, all the stores of the boardwalk, it it is kind of cool. I mean, it's like I you know I was just in the Jersey Shore at the end of August, went to a place kind of like that you know like like uh on long beach island there was this you know fantasy island aspect i was like i don't need to be here ever again it's it's loud it's conflicting uh you know conflicting music right like you've got uh right like there's just all these different songs playing at one time uh the arcade's playing something different than the ice cream shop and playing something different than the than the the bottle toss so um but in the eighties, there is there was that nostalgia associated with that kind of kind of a thing. And uh, oh, by the way, we really need to mention the elephant in the room here, which is the, the sax man. 
I was kind of saving that to the end, but uh, when we talk about the soundtrack, because the sax man is is one of the main highlights of this movie, Tim Capello. But yes, but I mean, when you when you think when most people think of the Lost Boys, there's probably like three things that they think of, um, or maybe just one. And I think I think it's Tim Capello. It's I still believe it's like, you know, that and uh, and in the case of my wife Erin, it's. It's the the vampire toenails, the the bat oh. hanging upside down nails. Yeah, so disgusting. The thumb, the grippy thumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty amazing. I I would say if I had to list my top three things that stand out for this movie, I would say Tim Capello, the Corys, and Kiefer Sutherland. That would be my three. Would I would your, say would Tim Capello. Uh, the Corys and Cry Little Sister. Okay. I mean, somebody says Lost Boys to me, and I go Cry Little S-, immediately. It's like it's like a call answer. It's like a it's like a somatic response. that that sound that song really stands out to you doesn't it i mean it does and so much so i mean when you look at you know this movie had a few sequels uh that were garbage but like yeah what did the trailers try and do just reuse that song and yeah push that song but that song yeah i mean there's no it's instant to me cry little sister instant that's one of the songs on this soundtrack that's original because <laughs> there's a lot of covers on this soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, should we get into the soundtrack really Let's quick? Let's get in. Let's get in. You know, when you have the natural segue, you can't deny it. No, because Tim Capello, when he plays saxophone in the movie on the grandstand, which was uh, decimated, I believe, by an earthquake, um, sadly. I used to go to Santa Cruz all the time as a kid and hang out at that boardwalk. Looking for Tim Capella. Well, I mean, after this movie came out, I'm like, well, that's where yeah. he was. I saw Pat yeah. Benatar play on that stage. I saw the Beach Boys play on that stage, free concerts. I was always hoping Tim Capella would. I had no idea that Tim Capella was the saxophone player for Tina Turner, that he was, uh, you know, then he shows up in that movie Tap, which we talked about. And we had Craig Saffin on the show. Um, yeah. You know, like... The guy, he still performs in that whole getup, too, with his oil and his chains and his bondage outfit. And his yeah, muscles. well, I mean, if anything, he's probably wearing more clothes than usual in this movie than he than he was used to at the time. I, I mean, he was like so. just G-string guy. It's, he was a G-string guy. It's a pretty bold choice because... Should we go down the list of the of the songs in order on the soundtrack, or should we just talk about this song because we're on it right now? However you want to do it, my friend. Okay, we'll, However we'll, you want to do we'll it. come back. We'll come back to uh, Timmy Capello in a second because the soundtrack has ten songs on it. It's an interesting lineup. There's a few songs that are omitted from the soundtrack that were in the movie. Um, and we'll talk about those songs at the end, but the, the, the first song on the soundtrack is good times by Jimmy Barnes and in excess. I'm gonna have a good- 
In excess, total example of like, I would never remember that In excess was on the soundtrack. I mean, yeah, because Jimmy Barnes kind of like, even though Michael Hutchins and Jimmy Barnes trade vocals on this song, it's really a Jimmy Barnes song. Michael Hutchins kind of looks like Jim Morrison. He kind of does. And apparently Kiefer Sutherland was a big fan of In excess or a big fan of Australian bands because he... Spent some time there. And so that was a big draw for him when uh, Joel Schumacher, you know, wanted him for the movie. What's your favorite In Excess song? Um, If you say the song I'm thinking of, I'm just going to blow my mind. Well, I probably won't because there's a song. uh, My aunt had bought me Kick uh, randomly. when uh, when it came out, and uh, and the song that I became obsessed with, very randomly, is the song called uh, "Tiny Daggers." You know, it's is it a great song? I you know I don't know. It's it's certainly not their most well known song, but I that one is probably my favorite NXS song. And of course, you know, wow. I need you tonight. Of course, right? What about that one? Um, beautiful girl, right? What what do you the say? one what from you? the mystery date with uh, Ethan Hawke? Remember that song? Is that your favorite? No, my favorite is Don't Change oh. by there. One of their earlier right. songs. I mean, that song to me is almost like doesn't sound like an NXS no. song. That's why I like it's, it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I used to cover that song. But yes, I, uh, congratulations. But, uh, <laughs> no, you know, there's, 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 Congratulations on your podcast. And your son. Congratulations on your son and your podcast. Um, but there are so many, so many good ones. Um, I mean, they're a legendary band. Yeah. yeah. Legendary band. Um, Amazing. Jimmy Barnes was in a band called cold chisel. Are you familiar with cold chisel? I'm not familiar with cold. Chisel. <laughs> Neither. They were like a bar, but they were labeled as a bar band in Australia. I've, I listened to a few songs and there's, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. Um, but this song is a cover from a band called the easy beats. song it's like the late 60s when this song came out mm-hmm. um it, it's very similar but it makes sense because i i never knew this song was a cover until i looked it up the other day um but then it made sense to me because there's so many references to like 60s things bony maroney uh long tall sally johnny fat fanny whatever <laughs> <laughs> roller skates and uh, yeah and uh, the original one is very much like a doo-wop type of, type of song yeah typical and this song kicks ass it's yeah, it in fact one of my favorite songs on the soundtrack it 
it might be my number two favorite song on the mm. soundtrack. Uh, but good times. The next one, Lost in the Shadows by Lou Graham. I think people would recognize as the lead singer of Foreigner for a very long time. Your thoughts on Lost in the Shadows? It's pretty awesome. And it's like, uh, that one, of course, I did remember was on the soundtrack, but it's it's like when they're, uh, they're, they're it's used so well in the movie. It's like oh, when they're so riding good. on the motorcycles and they're, I don't know the verses at all, but, you know, the chorus. Uh, Loneliness comes over you. So this was not one that you fast forwarded and no hell no. On the Walkman. no. This is you, a long you, song. This is a yeah. six minute song. That's too long. It, well, y- it might be, you, but there you it there off. is that drum beat that doom 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 like it. Yeah. There's a solo part almost. Where, it's great. Yeah. It's a great song. I mean, it really is. No complaints. And I good agree with you. It's ground. used perfectly in the movie. Unlike Good Times, Good Times is used in the beginning of the movie, and it, they actually bring it up again when when um, Dwayne, Billy Worth's vampire, Dwayne is killed. Um, the jukebox. Yeah, by the jukebox. The stereo. Which is kind of no, cool. Not, no, is there a jukebox? No, there's not a jukebox in the house. It's a stereo. Like a, and, of course, yeah. Corey Haim has the kind of cheesy line, death by stereo. <laughs> yeah. Um. Next song. So Lost in the Shadows is an original, by the way. Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by Roger Daltrey, which is played in the uh, credits, the end credits. Yeah, I, I, I've never stayed that long. So it's really, you know, it's an Elton John song originally. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a course. famous one. I think he does a duet with George Michael. That's amazing. This is so forgettable. And at the end of the song, because this is a six-minute song too, but at Ugh. like the five-minute forty mark, <laughs> when the song is over, suddenly you get this ripping solo. It's like ding ding. I'm like, this sounds awfully familiar. It sounds a little bit like the solo in Eyes Without a Face. A little bit. Uh, yeah. by Billy I mean, Idol. you texted me about it, but I, I've never... I do not like that song at all, so I, I'm not... What, Eyes Without no a Face? no way. No, don't let the sun go down with, on me. Like, I'm not going to s- s- sit around for a six-minute don't let the sun go down on me. No, it's really... it's And it's like... It, I love synth, and I know you do too. Yeah. But it's the poorest use of synth, where it's like they use synthesized trumpets. Right. Dun, dun, well, dun, dun, I mean, dun, dun, dun. but that's a commentary kind of on where we were at this period in the 80s, because we're kind of going away from synth and going into, you know, more of the hair metal. And this this whole soundtrack is more of a hair metal than synth. There's like, yeah, there's like no synth. But Yeah. No, you're right. It's actually a pretty heavy song, heavy soundtrack. Um, the next song is "Laying Down the Law" by Jimmy Barnes and NXS. They come back. They got two songs on this album. 
laying down low. Are you a fan of this song? I'm not really a big fan of this song. It's it's very unmemorable. I mean, again, I was like, what? I'm like, oh, I forgot that this song was on there. So, not not really. It's it's not it's not memorable to me. So you got ten songs. Uh, that was song four. So that was. Ch- Tracks three and four. So you're fast forwarding to those songs to get to People Are Strange by Echo and the Bunnymen. I like right. this version better than the Doors version. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> I think so too. I'm not really a Doors fan. Me neither. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of doors that I'm like, play that again. Um I don't need to hear somebody say when you're strange again and again. I would think that you would like that because it's so repetitive and and <laughs> I do like repetitive songs. I don't I, like this is a song I'll listen to and I and it's and if it comes up I won't turn it off, but I'm not like, "Oh, you play the People Are Strange song from the Lost Boys soundtrack." Yeah. But you flip over the tape to side B and you got Cry Little Sister by Gerard McMahon. Yeah. And you love that song. I can see why. It's almost a five-minute song, but it's a perfect five, almost five-minute song. It's a perfect song. I I wouldn't say it's a perfect song by any means, but I would say that it's perfectly used in this movie. I think that, you know, this Gerard wrote this song in like, I don't know, I feel like a couple hours or something. The lyrics don't make any sense, you know, but what does it have going for it? It's got some haunting, haunting... The black fire will rise. You know, actually, what are the lyrics? Last fire will rise. Black cows will rock. Blind boys don't lie. Blind right? It's like, boys um, don't lie. like blind boys don't lie. What are we talking about? Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> it's not really important because you've got the choir of kids yep. that really make this song. And then, and then it's almost like for a minute you're like, are, am I listening to the fan of the opera soundtrack? Like, uh, cause there's this organ that comes in that just like punches you in the face. And you're like, what is going on? And Gerard's just going off and just, you know, every which way it's, it, it is like an emotional roller coaster. Echo what you say. I think it's it is perfectly used in the movie. Maybe not a perfect song, but would you say also this is what soundtrack songs are supposed to be? Where it's it's an original song for the movie. If you have it out of any other context, is it it's not it's not as good. The only other environment where it'd be as good is at a close up magic show. Oh yeah. Which Aaron, my wife Aaron, went to the Magic Castle, went into a room, this song started playing, and she's like, I, I don't even care if this is bad magic, because Cry Little Sister's playing. Wow. And you can, you know, have a dove appear and 
light a napkin on fire, whatever you want, like, and it, and it works. But yeah, this song, this is like the first cue that you hear when the movie starts. Um, yeah. Over the giant aerials of the Pacific ocean, the kind of helicopter shaky, shaky aerials that are flying over the, uh, the ocean to the boardwalk. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get dark. But, uh, but then also, you know, again, spoiler guys, sorry, but when uh, when Kiefer bites it, and they just use with without any instrumental support, just the the kids, thou shalt right. It's really good, really effective. You just take that layer, yeah, that that little stem. You're like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, they blew it yeah. when they killed Freddy Krueger in a movie. They they should have been like, one, two, Freddy's coming for... You know, they... Yeah, but he just kept coming back. Yeah, I know. He just it's kept so coming back. So, so he just starts to lose... It would lose its emphasis. No, yeah, I, I agree. I think... Uh, uh, by the way, are those antlers that... Uh, spoiler, because he dies because of uh, elk antlers or something. Are we to believe those are wooden antlers? Is that what... Is that... Because that's that's well, my I mean, only that's, little side note about. I know, but that's also the thing too, where it's like nobody really says wooden stake in this movie. You they know, don't. they just—it's almost like sharp. Just get sharp object, you know, through the chest arrows. Um, the you know, obviously the wooden fence, but yeah, because those antlers probably are are not wooden. No, Grandpa's stuff and. Stuff and real. Those are legit antlers. Yeah. So I'm kind of with you there. I had that moment where I was like, eh. Because, you know, that happens a lot in vampire movies, right? Where it's like, oh, they got him. But then there's always something. It's like, right. But the bullet wasn't silver. Or like if it's a werewolf, you know, right. it's like, you just shot him with a regular bullet. Um, you know, and ha ha ha. So I was expecting the first time I saw this to be like, you know, you that's not going to work. And then his stomach would heal up. But that yeah. Doesn't happen. And that would have been kind of cool. But, but yeah. uh, apparently when you, uh, when you get, when you're a vampire and you die, you get turned back to your prepubescent stage because he lost all his facial hair. He lost his facial hair. And I don't think I had really noticed that, uh, until this most recent viewing, I was like, wait a minute. But then what are we saying? Like, that's the age that he was when he got bitten. But then, he could still grow a beard? Like, it doesn't... Yeah, because it's supposed to freeze you at that age. You would stay the age you you were bit at. Like, Laddie... It wasn't like Laddie... If Laddie got his first kill, he'd suddenly have a beard. No. And Laddie would stay a child. <laughs> because yeah. they did that with uh, Interview with the Vampire. Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. You stay the age... I mean, that's, that's common known vampire lawyers. I don't know why you would... Somebody quickly went in there and shaved him. And Joel's like, he needs he needs to be shaved. Can you shave yeah. him? Yeah. Back to innocence. Back to innocence. Back to lost boys. Back to when he's lost. Back to missing boys. Missing boy posters. What? <laughs> okay. Back to uh, a couple stinkers on the soundtrack. Well, actually yeah. one. Power play by Eddie and the Tide, which is Eddie Money. It's just a power play. Fan yeah, of the no. song? No. Nope. Skip. So this nope. is a crappy thing about side B on the Lost Boys soundtrack. You've got to skip that song to get to the next song. 
I Still Believe by Timmy Capello. When the darkness comes, feel the breeze, but I still believe, still believe, through the cold, through the heat, through the rain, through the tears, through the crowds. This is another cover by a band called The Call. But I still believe, I still believe Through the cold and through the heat Through the rain and through the tears Through the crowds and through the cheers Canadian band called the call they call the call uh they had a couple hits uh including when the day begins and they had a song on the real genius soundtrack as well well real genius they had a song in the real genius movie we talked about that that wasn't a soundtrack yes yeah um and you shared with me that the call originally was supposed to be in this movie they were, yeah, they were supposed to be yeah. the band that performed. They on stage? were Schumacher asked them to be in the to be in the movie. They said no, and uh, our boy Tim Capello, recovering heroin, heroin addict Tim Capello, really, who, oh yeah, Tim Capello, like totally addicted to heroin, and as when he got off of it, he was like, I'm going to be addicted to bodybuilding, and greasing myself up. So as part of his recovery process. He, uh, yeah, he, you know, just got gigantic. Wow. And, uh, you know, you got to put that, you got to put that addiction energy somewhere and he put it into his body and, um, wow. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, Schumacher asked him to be in it and, and, you know, thank goodness for him. Cause it's, it is such a memorable scene. Yeah. I still believe first moment in which Michael spies star through the crowd. Great scene. My favorite scene in the movie. That's your favorite scene. It is. It is my favorite. Interesting. Scene the movie. Oh, cause it, that's this song is the lyrics are inspirational. It's, it's fun. It's weird. <laughs> you mm. know, it segues into the comic book scene soon after the comic book store, which I, again, I love the comic book store scenes as well. But it's just—I don't know. It's a—it's the most memorable scene in this movie, for me. And favorite, right? You've got you know the fires lit in the in the garbage cans and stuff. But do you, so so you would watch this and go like, I'm very inspired about the message by the song. The yeah, song. I always yeah. wanted like you know they didn't have a maxi single, I believe, of this song when it came out. So, but all I wanted was this song on the sound. This in good times. Yeah. Because these were the songs that I put on my, in my Walkman, and get on my bike and ride to school, and you know, get over the big hill or whatever, and get pumped up. And and no cry, little sister, for you. No cry, little sister, hmm. on the way to school. But I would play on the way, it on the way like, home. This is cool. 
I like this. Okay. All right. And then that, then after this song's over, you get to Beauty Has Her Way by a band called Mummy Calls. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of this song. Yeah, I don't care. It, you know, I'm not. It, but but and then and then I love Thomas Newman. He might actually be my favorite movie composer. He did the soundtrack for Real Genius. I for a minute I thought you were going to say my favorite Newman. <laughs> yeah, well he'd be my favorite Newman as well, yeah. Randy Newman? Way more popular than Randy Newman. <laughs> Newman and Seinfeld? Oh. Yes. Oh, I weird. won't do that impression. Um, Paul Newman? <laughs> Paul Newman? Yeah, more. Yeah, I like right. him more than Paul okay. Newman. All right, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Alfred E. Newman? Uh, yes. Yes. Different spelling, right? It is, but well, same phonetically. Well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but but his song, To the Shock of Miss Louise, which is a terrible title, uh, it's the carnival song that they're playing in the beginning of the movie when they're on the carousel. It's a generic song. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't, I wish if they're going to play a piece, Thomas Newman has some really great pieces in this film. The scene where they, they make their way to, uh, the lair, David's lair, the David and the lost boys lair. Yeah. And like they're or and they're arming up that little montage scene where they're arming their weapons, getting ready to battle after yeah. that. It's yeah. so good. Like, You know, and it's still a shame that his soundtrack, that his score that he did for Real Genius is unavailable. You can't find it anywhere. Uh, I don't think even Peter Hackman has that score. You haven't asked him? I did ask. Oh, you did ask. Thomas Newman, I think, is a very underappreciated film composer. But this song, take it or leave it. Yeah, you seem a little indignant on his behalf, which I appreciate. I was kind of like, uh, well, you know, he did the Shawshank Redemption, which was like my go-to-bed soundtrack for a very yeah. long time. <laughs> no, he's 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 got like a... go to bed, Zach, <laughs> and help me go to bed at night. When your mom would put on that score, and that, that's how you knew it was time to go. No, to No, I put that on my CD player and put my headphones on and go to sleep. Which wouldn't make a lot of sense because it came out in the '90s, so you would you would be an adult. Yeah, I was I was Probably like 18 at the time. It came out in '94. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, but I would have no, guessed 96. My mom was still tucking me in. No, she wasn't. Um, Just baths. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good. His score for this movie is great. That piece that they have on the soundtrack isn't great. So out of a 10-song uh, soundtrack, it's really five songs that are good and five that are not. Yes, and now just some quick honorable mentions to some songs that didn't make it onto the soundtrack, right? Because uh, another memorable scene, Corey Haim in the bathtub. Um, the sound that sounds gross, but Corey Haim in the bathtub. You know, he's just he's just in the bathtub, and his brother is turning into a vampire, basically. Um, but uh, ain't got a home. Um, another memorable song. Ain't got a man. Ain't got a song. Ain't got a right. daughter. And uh, it's escaping me who wrote that song. But like that would have been a, a cool one to have on the soundtrack. That would have been a good one. Uh, Cruisin'. That it's in the yeah. beginning of the movie. It, it's I know it's cheesy, but I 
uh, by the way, really quick, uh, Clarence Frogman Henry is the name of the performer who does Ain't Got No Home. Thank you. And the Groovin' is by the Rascals. Yeah. And I, I, I like that song. Um, it's a bummer that's not on there. And then Walk This Way by Run DMC and uh, Aerosmith is, is is on there when uh, the vampires hunt. The um, fire. Yeah, w- yeah, really intense scene, by the way. There's a teeth going into a skull. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. dramatic. Um, yeah, I mean, we've heard, we've we've talked about this before on the show. Certain songs don't get, you know, they for some reason they don't wind up on the soundtrack, and it's a shame because those songs stand out. Beauty mm-hmm. has her way. That song doesn't stand out, or she's just a power play. Ju- Judy. She's just a power play. When Judy gets her way, she's just a power play. Judy has her way. Yeah. Beauty. A beauty. Beauty. They're not just Judy. not good songs. Land down the law. Showdown in the Northland. Showdown in the Southland. Southland. Yeah. Just a whiff right. of corruption. No, that's not. I like your version. Savory, savoring sweet Lipton tea. Like, that's a terrible. Do you savor? It sounds like a commercial, the whole thing. It does. <laughs> Those don't hold a candle to Ain't Got No Home. The lyrics actually mention Lipton tea. Savoring sweet Lipton tea, I think. <laughs> Savory and sweet Lipton tea. Savoring sweet Lipton tea. Uh, iced tea for your soul. What a weird, weird song. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. Jimmy Barnes. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy. He, he cold chisel. You know, if you're if you're if you're feeling that, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up the lyrics really quick. Here they are. I got yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd them. be great. Okay. Oh, savor and sweet. <laughs> I'm laying down go. low, showdown in the Northland. Just a whiff of corruption is the tip of the iceberg. The iceberg. Iceberg. Oh, iceberg. Okay. Savor and sweet liberty. Liberty. <laughs> that. <laughs> Savor and sweet Lipton tea is way better. Lipton tea. <laughs> like what in the world? It's it's not Train that wrote this. You know what I mean? It's not like or uh, Nickelback. We're not we're not just naming brands, <laughs> which is the Train staple. I'm Soy lattes and Taibo. I mean, the lyrics uh, aren't liberty. that bad. Liberty, Lipton tea. That is, 
That is such a funny thing. It's like a, like when you're a little kid and you just hear, you know, it must be that. And it's like, no, Liberty. That makes so much more sense. Yeah. Savory and sweet. Savory. I mean, this <laughs> is... Tea. It sounds like it's a kind of a... <laughs> Hey, oh, I got to give you something every episode. That's so good. <laughs> got to give you something. And it's all genuine, so folks. It's all genuine. Um, <laughs> so before I launch into uh, three facts from 1987, uh, I just really want to point out, that because I love uh, the call Tim Capello uh, song, I Still Believe. Okay. Um, <laughs> What's happening? It, it right was now? produced by. Yeah. Uh, it was produced by the. This version was produced by Richie Zito. Richie Zito uh, is a, a musician and music cr- uh, producer, and he's produced a lot of great albums in the eighties. Uh, Heart, White Lion, The Cult, Poison, Rat, Mr. Big, Tony Basil, The Motels, Eddie Money. Cheap trick, bad English, like some good stuff. So just wanted to give a shout out to Richie Zito. Okay. Sure he appreciates it. I'm sure he does. Um, Did White Lion have any other songs outside of When the Children Cry? Once bitten, twice shy, babe. That was White Lion? Yeah. Once bitten, twice shy is White Lion? Yeah. What? Um, oh, they had wait, wait. No, 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 no. Hold on a minute, dude. Once bitten, twice shy is great white. Oh, great white. It's not white lion. Okay. I'm like, what are you talking Sorry. about? Well, okay, but they had wait. Wait is a great song. Do you like okay. this song, wait? I don't, I don't know that I know it. You'd know it. If you heard it, you'd know it. No, you like it. You like it. You like it. All right. You, All right. You, you have to like it. You have to like it. Um, I got three little fun facts from 1987. All right, great, because we got like two and a half minutes. <laughs> um, even though we are, this movie came out in July, this episode's dropping in October. So I'm looking at stuff that came out in October of 1987. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! came out in October of 1987. Did you play that video game? Sure did. Really fun, like groundbreaking Last game. Joe, all of them. Yeah, no, I was obsessed with that game. I played it all the time. Same, same. You get that code, and then you can just go to the end and be like, whatever. But yeah, Mike Tyson. By the time you get to him, it's like it's insane. Like you're like, what? This is the hardest boxer to beat. It's a hard game. Um, it's hard to time. He's hard to time. Yeah. The uh, 
with the great Pabinski. Did you play the arcade version? Yeah, I played the arcade version too. There was no Mike Tyson. It was just punch out. Um, little, uh, little, a little harder to to manage, but yeah, no. Every boxer, like once you got the timings down, once you got the pattern down, you're like, good, I'm golden. Right. But Mike Tyson was hard. To, you you know, it was like you're trying to be a drummer, and he's giving you like double time and then he's uh, you know he's going single and you, oh man like there's no you know i can't find the pattern i was never good at that game but i love the montages mm. the training montages in between oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's real so good yeah um october of 1987 but- was when Jessica McClure fell down a well in Midland, Texas. Oh, yeah. And uh, we talked to Whip Hubley about that in August. $2, six questions. One of his favorite roles that he played was the, the man who rescued Jessica McClure, the baby Jessica from the, the well. The real guy, yeah. Yeah. And so CNN was the first to report about it. Breaking news. Um, Okay, this this last one yeah. though, <laughs> I just it made me laugh when I read it because it's really telling. And he just passed away not that long ago, so I thought it was kind of perfect. In October fifteenth, nineteen eighty seven, Bob Barker stopped dyeing oh. his hair brown and appeared on The Price Is Right for the first time with white hair. He is given a minute long standing ovation by the audience. Whoa. <laughs> Because he did not dye his hair. He did not dye his what hair. What a time. Now, there's a little different note to that. Well, you, you like the suit. Is that it? <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Lady in the back row says she loves my hair. Now, I, I know that if you saw the show yesterday, my hair was dark. And I'll tell you, I had a blind date last night. <laughs> Never again. But uh, do you like it? Do you like it? Because if you don't, now, if you don't like it, I can chant an old Sioux Indian chant, and it'll be dark again, you know? If you don't like it, you write to Fingers Greco. And <laughs> you, actually, what happened? You know, I, I was tinning my hair for years, and fi- it started getting blue. You know, it was getting blue. And uh, then they put a permanent dye in it, and it got red. Got red. And so I decided to do the patriotic thing and let it be white now. Red, white, and blue, and here we are. Here we go with the first item up for bids and the price is right. I wonder how old he was at that point. You said 87 and he just died and he was like 90. 99. He died in 99 in 2023. So, um, well, that's so, 36 years ago, right? Uh, yep, 36. So, uh, 63. Math is, math is always a uh, 63. A <laughs> right? 62, 63 years old, yeah. 63 years old, he's getting 
a standing ovation? I mean, he must have mentioned it, right? He I just mean, came out. Like, it must have been a big deal for him. Because you wouldn't even really. I mean, I guess you would notice if you watched it every day, but like, yeah. It's oh. such a funny thing to think about, though, that the crowd is like, yeah, good job. We're proud of you, Bob. I mean, I was certainly watching it before 1987. I don't remember being like, oh, he's just gray now. Like, uh, but I don't, re- I mean, when you're a kid, you don't really know stuff. I that clearly was not homesick that day. So <laughs> it'd be one thing if Bob Barker revealed that he had an illness. What we know about CBS, extremely conservative audience. You could see a bunch of executives at CBS being like, well, we can't just have him come out one day with gray hair. We need to address this because millions of people are going to be so confused. They won't understand what, what happened. Right. Uh, you know, whereas like he could really just go like, Oh, I went gray guys. I don't know. So it, 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 it's just, you know, it, the time we live in back in 1987, that, that, that apparently that was a yeah. really big deal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so those are some fun facts from 1987. Um, this month on our trivia on our Patreon, patreon.com slash $2 late fee. It's where all the cool kids hang out. Sign up to our Patreon. We're going to be doing trivia this month. Um, well, last month we did trivia and I made a bet with, or I made a promise to uh, Corey, I believe, uh, that I was going to wear a Cobra Commander uh, hood throughout the episode of trivia. So mm. if you want to see our live trivia on YouTube, uh, we'll become a Patreon member and subscribe to that. And you'll get more information on our Patreon. Hmm. Interesting. So you, uh, you have said, said hood. I'm making it. I All told right. him I would make one. And I You're believe Paul London from territory marks, obviously, uh, is wants to run that show. So um, it might mm, be you yeah. versus me versus Corey. I don't know. We'll see. That sounds fun. But Halloween spookitude. Halloween's coming up. Uh, by the time this airs, Halloween hasn't happened yet, but obviously uh, our anniversary has and our fundraiser has. Um, yeah, we made $15 million, right? We did. It was amazing. Yeah. We blew the roof off. Momentum wheels for humanity. They they retired because they made so much money. And we hope with that we did a little bit of justice to uh, help out momentum wheels for humanity. And we'll do it again. We'll do it again for sure. Um, but the Lost Boys. I'm so glad we covered this movie. I mean, we toe dipped into little things here and there. I didn't get an earring uh, after seeing this again. I might have gotten one back in 1987 because of this movie. Um, oh, because of Brooke? Because of Michael. Because of Michael. Michael get it, got his ears pierced. Ear I, like I feel like they all have earrings. They though, did, they? but they that was when stars like, you know, it's a ripoff or whatever. S- Star says getting your ear pierced is a ripoff? Because Michael's looking at a, a woman getting her ear pierced, and he's like thinking about it, and she walks by, oh, and she's like, it's yeah. a ripoff. It's a ripoff. So, but it wasn't a ripoff for you in 1987. No, I wanted to get my ear pierced. That you did in 1987? No. I got it when I went to middle school, which would have been 88, I think. 
Oh, you had an ear pierced in middle school. Yeah. When oh. I went to my new school and I got terrorized. Oh. The first day I oh, got swept. That, I mean, that's why. That's too young. That's too young. That's too young. Every negative thing you can think of, I was called. Oh, dude, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's... Uh, and uh, yeah, you're the new kid. You're like feeling yourself. Like, I got my earring and my my Rob Lowe belly shirt. No, I have my jean, jean jacket, jacket. Jean jacket. And uh, a trench coat underneath The Cobra it. Kai jean jacket. I had a trench coat underneath the jean jacket. You had a trench coat underneath your jean jacket? Yep. What did that? Who? What? I'm not sure I understand. I don't know. I thought I I thought I was Johnny Depp from Twenty One Jump Street, but he didn't Johnny have Depp that. had a jean jacket over his trench. I mean, no, he had a leather you, jacket underneath. That his, doesn't underneath his trench coat. On, he had a leather jacket underneath his denim jacket that he ripped the sleeves off of. Okay, yeah, but like you're talking about like a long trench coat. Yep. That you put a jean jacket on over that. Yep. So like, wouldn't weren't your sleeves like all puffy? Like, didn't they not sit right? Yeah, no, I had the... to grab. I had to grab it. You know, when you grab the sleeve and then you put the yeah. jacket on, so it doesn't. Yeah, because it's like it's that's a disaster. It doesn't like, bunch up. Yeah, yeah, everything bunches up, and you just gotta like. But it also like doesn't feel right. You're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Came came so, into the had to go to gym and then came out of gym and all my clothes were on the ground. Someone took them out of the locker and threw them on the ground. That's. <laughs> terrible then i had to borrow i had to borrow i didn't i didn't have uh a pe i didn't ha, i did not have a pe uniform so i had to borrow oh this is the dolphin shorts story. the dolphin shorts yeah. oh no yeah. i know this story i didn't rip my skin on that one that was but i did have to wear them yeah it's just it's just not right any of it it was terrible it was terrible. any of it middle school just, sucks but lost boys does not it's just not right i mean yeah it's the new kid thing <laughs> The new kid. Uh, yeah, you should have just written a note. I'll uh, just one of the guys to get out of gym forever. I should have. I should have. Yeah. But I have my period. That's what you say. <laughs> and they're like, wait, you're a guy. You're dressed like, you know. Oh, no, no. Right. My coach was I so in the weird. Cafeteria. She was so yeah. weird. She was like this four, four foot eight, really uh, overweight uh, what older woman already... who wore a big red cowboy hat. She owned a, a donut bad... shop. This is a bad combo. I forget what? her name. Whoever I went to high school, you, you guys know Dean. Dean Dean's a listener of the show. Dean know he went to middle school with me. He knows her name. He'll chime in down the road. Dean, what are we talking about right now? Who's Dean? Dean's a friend. Never of mine. mentioned him. Yeah, he he chimes in. He listens to podcasting after dark and two dollar late fee. And and he's come so... out. And he's apologized. He's like, I'm so sorry. Oh, that you... he was the guy that that tripped you. No, 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 your... no. He was not. Dean, you really better apologize again. <laughs> no, because that's messed up. You threw Zach's gym clothes on the ground. <laughs> no, I used to go to Dean's house and play Ducktales on NES, too, back in the day. I got that wrong. I got that question wrong. You did get that. <laughs> that was 1989. No Makes no sense. I played that game every day. I know. It just didn't. Yeah. The moment when I realize that it's DuckTales, like before Corey guesses, I'm like, oh, it's fucking DuckTales. Like, it's a terrible feeling. <laughs> Go back and watch like, last month's yeah. uh, trivia. You'll yeah. hear that hot single, yeah. Night Boys by Paul London. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which he might be recording with my band, believe it or not. So. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, he w really wants to. So uh, after we're done recording our new album, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into Night Boys. Oh, that's funny. Uh that, that's really funny. Um, cool, cool. 
All right. Well, hey, good work. Cry, little sister. Oh, I really, I, really quick. It's a weird uh, segue. Uh, no, no. Like, uh, Tangerine Dream covered their that song, right? And that's a really cool cover. Then Marilyn Manson covered yeah. it, and that's not a good cover. So there you go. Yeah. Well, what I like about Tangerine Dream's cover of Cry Little Sister is that they don't, it's not really, it's not a children's choir so much as it's just like a, it's like a little, uh, like a, not an auto tuner, but they, you know, they, they pitch it down a little bit. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. So check that out. Go, go, yeah. go Google it. <laughs> go Google it. And, and savor some sweet Lipton tea. <laughs> yep. All righty, everybody. And check well, out thank Jameson. You. Please subscribe to our YouTube page. Uh, that'd be great. Check out the Patreon. That'd be great. Uh, what else? What else? What else? I mean, there's just so much stuff. We got Jameson um, this month. If you want to know what's happening in November, sign up to Patreon and uh, you'll get a sneak preview of that. You'll get a sneak preview. Oh, and our newsletter should be launched. Well, we'll maybe we'll announce that when it's actually up. Yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe when there's more than five subscribers. But yeah, that, that would be good too. Newsletter. All right. Newsletter. <laughs> Look it up. Google it. <laughs> All right. Google it. All right. Cry, cry yourself some sweet Lipton tea. Until next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Ain't got no regrets. I ain't losing track of which way I'm going. I ain't gonna double back, no. Don't wanna misplay. Put on no display. An angel know, but I know my way. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2 Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.